This podcast was brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on Sirius XM. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Dollars and Change on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Hey, welcome to Dollars and Change on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. I'm Nick Ashburn. And I'm Sandy Hunt. And we join you here live every Thursday from 8 to 9 p.m. Eastern, 5 to 6 p.m. Pacific. We're replayed throughout the week. And of course, you can always find us on demand on the SiriusXM app. And Sandy, we're full of energy today. We really are. We were just remar- we got coffees out of habit, but we both said they were sort of feeling gratuitous on this beautiful day with our awesome in-studio guest. Exactly. And, you know, we are excited to be uh, joined by Jonathan Lovitz, who's the Senior Vice President at the National LGBT Chamber of Commerce. We'll be talking about Pride Month. You know, it is June here, I guess everywhere. I think that's a thing. <laughs> you could um, be listening to this on replay. That's true. It is June now. It is June now when you are when when we are in the studio. But um, I was just noticing that in general we're seeing kind of the rainbow flag on everything. Mm-hmm. I was remarking this morning, uh, Subaru headquarters, which is in Camden, has. A hum- the entire length of their building. Huge, beautiful rainbow flag. And so, you know, it is Pride Month, but I really just wanted to focus on, like, LGBT issues in, mm-hmm. in business, and that's the whole point of this show. Mm-hmm. So without further ado, let's welcome Jonathan Lovitz, Senior Vice President at the National LGBT Chamber of Commerce. Thanks for joining us, Jonathan. Thanks for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. I am just over the moon. <laughs> just over the moon. Over the rainbow, I suppose. It's it's a Pride oh! podcast. I'm also from Kansas, so there's uh, that reference to... There real. it is. Yeah. And I was Dorothy for Halloween when I was five. So it's a real hat <laughs> trick so here, just... folks. <laughs> so, Jonathan, tell us a little bit about your background, because it is a unique journey to getting to where you are. Uh, so tell us a little bit about your background. So I was thinking about it, walking through a college campus on the way in here about, you know, everyone gets there on their first day and you immediately assume, okay, here, we're going to follow that path mom and dad charted. It's going to be that straight line that, you know, from from degree to career and so many puns, there it is. But, you know, if I'm living proof that that that. Uh, course from A to Z is going to take a lot of curves and detours. You're going to mm-hmm. double back a few times. It's going to be really windy. Uh, and it's been amazing. I started, uh, went to the University of Florida, Go Gators, and uh, studied both musical theater and uh, political science communications, uh, just for a little balance, like yeah. you do. Um, <laughs> and along the way there, also really got heavily involved in uh, political affairs and starting to get involved with diversity issues. First time I really was involved heavily in an LGBT student group mm-hmm. and then other diversity programs because it was such a, a big liberal university. And I was that point zero zero one percent that left college uh, with a theater degree and worked. Uh, went right on a couple national tours, went to New York, uh, performed a bit. And along Two-thirds the way... of the people on this radio show cannot say the same. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I did on your behalf. I promise. <laughs> yeah. Thanks. Um, but it was it was a wild journey. I mean, and, and getting to crisscross the country on a national tour for especially at 22, 23 years old, you see so many different walks of life. And especially as a young, you know, I was an out queer person at the time to like see America through all the different prisms through which people view their lives, through their accessibility to being out around the country. And this is still we're talking like two thousand. Eight nine, and and what was that? I mean, you had a couple days in each city, so that you yeah, you know, you're lucky. Sometimes you'd have a few weeks. Uh, Sometimes it was just two nights, you know. And 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 I remember, of course, you know, playing San Francisco and LA, and all of those cities were incredible. Mm -hmm. But 
it was going to I'll never forget going to gay bars in Birmingham, Alabama and in Des Moines. And, you know, that was fascinating. The sort of pre the ubiquity of of iPhones and all. So you were really you're bringing a digital camera and actually like living in a moment and connecting to people and cool pics. Yeah. And and (laughs) writing about it in your live journal and your face and your, um, you know, and your friendster later. Mm -hmm. So maybe your aim away message. Oh, we are so. (laughs) <laughs> um, but it it was an amazing experience to get to see America. And it was really at an inflection point sort of before social media allowed us to find the same sense of community that we, that we have now that I imagine we'll talk about. But had had I not had that experience, I never would have sort of had the wherewithal to be sort of more out, more proud by the time I got to New York. And because I had been so and sort of statedly so while working in the theater, that's how I transitioned to television and film and Along the way, got into uh, advocacy issues because I was starting to do some news anchoring and working for uh, some podcasts and other different things that were rolling out at the time focused on diversity. And someone started coming to me with uh, offers to come talk for the Human Rights Campaign or GLAAD or the Trevor Project. And because, you know, there weren't a ton of young people really engaged in these issues. And it was incredible. It was such an amazing experience to get to do that. And that's why I ended up here uh, working for the NGLCC and some of the other advocacy groups that I get to consult for. Because they found that, you know, all of those years communicating in the arts uh, taught me how to be a halfway decent advocate and public spokesperson and and now a lobbyist. And so to all those moms and dads out there worried about their kid going to drama class, half the people I work with on Capitol Hill uh, and two people I work with now sitting here in the radio studio uh, are where they are because of a fine arts training. So don't poo-poo it, mom and dad. Absolutely. And listen to the diction. On the show. <laughs> it's quite crisp <laughs> as it can be. But Jonathan, all right, so you are at the National yes. LGBT Chamber of Commerce. For our listeners, what the hell is that? <laughs> we are uh, the big queer business lobby, and it's it's a powerhouse. Oh, so there is a gay agenda. It is uh, Monday, open a business. Tuesday, tacos. <laughs> Wednesday, no. Um, it is, it's it's an amazing powerhouse organization. We're almost coming up in almost 20 years, and our oh. co-founders, uh, Justin Nelson and Chance Mitchell, started it in D.C. because they saw the LGBT advocacy movement really taking form and taking root, like I said, as, especially because of social media um, and really in the age of, at that point, uh, the W. Bush years, people looking for cohesion and community in, in a whole new era. And the one piece that was missing from all of this galvanizing force was the economic argument. Mm-hmm. Uh, we knew prior to that, really, the only thing people were ever talking about when it came to business and LGBTQ communities was purchasing was was why all those absolute bottles have been going rainbow since the <laughs> mid 90s. Uh it's big business, but it was still at that time sort of a, a touch and go kind of thing. You saw it for a week in June, but the other 11 months, you know, don't touch it. Um but when people started to quantify and realize that the LGBT community spends $917 billion every year as consumers. Those are the kind that's, of numbers we want on this show. Yeah, that's the famous pink dollar that people talk about. I mean, that is a real wake-up call for these companies, these brands, to say, we need to pay attention. And so it started from that economic prism of, let's look at the dollars and cents of our movement, how we leverage it, and then let's flip the uh, to the other side, to often the most underrepresented side of business, which is entrepreneurs and business owners. You know, because the funny thing about LGBT people, spoiler alert, we are also women, we are also people of color, we are Asian Americans, mm-hmm. we have disabilities, we're veterans, we are all of those other communities that are often represented in SBA studies and Commerce Department reports, but you never see an LGBT checkbox to identify there. 
And so around 2004, the NGLCC started an exclusive LGBT business enterprise certification that is the parallel to what folks might know as MWBE, Women Minority mm-hmm. Business Enterprise, and many other diverse communities have their own parallel to that. But we began to really out ourselves in business for the purposes of claiming uh, the same sort of access to the pie that the other diverse communities were were really reaping benefits from. And uh, it went from a few, you know, a few corporations, IBM being the first and a few other financial institutions and, and uh, a few other you know, sort of brave organizations saying, yeah, we're going to expand our supply chain and our, our supplier diversity initiatives to include LGBT. And here we are nearly 20 years later with almost 250 corporations and seeing that LGBT business inclusion is it went from being uh, a nice addition to sort of the diversity protocols of a company to being an absolute imperative. And that speaks to, I think, most recently the numbers that we've been able to put out, because as I mentioned, LGBT people uh, and our businesses are not counted. We're not in the U.S. census. We're not even in most of the economic data that business uh, interests are looking at. You know, for the CEOs out there who are looking for where the smart investment pool is, you can't find LGBT data unless you know where to look for it. So using our certification data, we have access to the dollars and cents behind all of these companies that are being certified as being 51% or more LGBT owned. And we were able to create the first ever America's LGBT economy report. And I mean, that has gone everywhere. It was from CNBC to the Wall Street <laughs> Journal, the SBA's quoting these numbers, even in, in current times, because they're so staggering. And the numbers are that if America's 1.4 million LGBT business owners are aggregated together, their impact in the U.S. economy is $1.7 trillion. If LGBT business owners were their own country, they'd be the 10th wealthiest in the world, and it would be a fabulous place to live. <laughs> but I was just going to do a hair flip. But yeah, I, as you should. Uh, I mean, the national anthem would play every morning. It'd be if I could turn back time. The calories, you know, there'd be no calories in the cocktails. It'd be a great place. But really, I mean, in seriousness, the economic strength of this community can't be ignored anymore. And it isn't being to the point that, like I said, all of these corporations are including our businesses in their supply chain. But so are governments now. Uh, We're also an advocacy force at the NGLCC, and we have worked to include certified LGBT businesses in state and city procurement opportunities. And Mm -hmm. that's where some of those, you know, I'm sure you've talked to plenty of people about those huge construction contracts Mm -hmm. and those multi-million dollar government deals. And Sandy, like I remember through Fast Forward, that was Mm -hmm. one of the big. Uh, one of the projects that we've done, uh, we did a, many years ago now, but like we focused explicitly on how do we get procurement from the mm-hmm. government to to explicit different types of yeah. uh, social impact and environmental impact themes. Yeah, absolutely. Those, I mean, those numbers, just to re- replay those to our listeners, $1.7 trillion in yeah. the total combined businesses owned, LGBTQ owned. LD, yeah. what, what's the correct so language? It's, right, it's LGBT business enterprise. LGBT. It's LGBTBE is the designation okay. for those businesses um, because at the moment we can certify and verify someone being lesbian, gay, bisexual, or transgender. Got it. But we really, as an organization, and really the whole movement, represents the whole sure. dynamic. Yeah. I mean, all the non-binary statuses. All you know, it's it's a big, beautiful rainbow with many other colors layered in between. So yeah. Yeah. it's it's really it's so impressive and just shattering stereotypes. Yeah. I mean, the fact that our business of the year this year, our, our, our 2018, uh, now going into 2019 LGBT business of the year, is a trans-owned construction company that does millions of dollars in construction projects in the Chicago area every year. I, 
were those words that you ever put together before? No. And they're just indicative of, I mean, the fact that we've got a lesbian-owned nuclear defense uh, contractor. We've got, you know, we've got every single industry you can imagine has a business owner in it. Well, and it. these are so many of those, you know, we, we talk a lot about the economics of these issues and sort of systemic data but there is also just that fundamental psychological, if you can see it, you can be it phenomena. We're telling these stories and having these, you know, what, when you picture a, what was it, nuclear uh, right, defense. Lesbian-owned nuclear defense contractor, yeah, when right? You de- when you picture a nuclear defense contractor now, when you hear this story, this is one of those, you know, models you have in your mind. Might be yeah. this, might be this. Tell me more about what... When you, when you're certifying these businesses, is it only the percentage ownership, or are there other things happening in these businesses? I can't imagine there's not, but where that leadership is translating yeah. into you know different or better policies, hiring practices, et cetera. So for the purposes of certification, we we identically mirror most of our peers in the space. So for those, I'm sure you're familiar with with WeBank that certifies mm-hmm. women owned, uh, the NMSDC which certifies uh, uh, ethnic diversity, etc. We all are very much using the identical standards so that there's parity, so that no corporation goes one's any stronger than the other, proving that you're 51% or more the majority owner of a company. Um, and then we do, we look at your financials to make sure we know the structure because you have to be independent of a parent company, things like that. But it's really, it's it's uniform to the same standards that the SBA and all the other government agencies use because really the long-term goal is removing all of these sort of diversity monikers and just saying we are a American-owned small business. And So, so Jonathan, yeah. you probably know this better than I do, um, but it's one of the things I wanted to follow up kind of in this, a similar vein, and that is really in terms of LGBTQ plus talent oh, yeah. and, and sort of some visibility around that. So when I think about corporations and their role – uh, and, and why they might be interested in it. You talked about purchasing power and the mm-hmm. broader economic effects. One of the things that I and my husband have always talked about is sort of like business led the way in terms sure. of, you know, same-sex partner benefits and, and other types of things so that they could attract talent as well. So and, – and, you know, we've seen corporations come out against anti-LGBT types of legislation that may also – you know, maybe I'm not going to move to mm-hmm. Alabama or wherever there might be a – I was born in Alabama, so full disclosure there. You know, like moving to that state because of some policy right. and corporations like – I need to be able to operate here and, and whatever. So talk to us a little bit about that element of LGBT business, too. Well, you're spot on. I mean, diversity uh, corporations really did lead the way. Look at marriage equality. I mean, it was something like uh, almost 200 corporations signed on in support of it. And so many of others have taken such powerful stances like in North Carolina, pushing back on HB2 and the bathroom bills. In Texas, you had not only all of those airlines and corporations pushing back on their religious freedom and bathroom bills, but you also had... Uh, governors, comptrollers, state agency representatives from all over the country saying, we will block funding to programs that touch your state. Uh, we will block interstate commerce because this is anathema to our diversity goals and to what our belief is. And the bottom line is it's what we, what our partners at NGLCC and really everyone in our, our sort of universe echoes is that diversity is good for business. Bottom line, whether it's LGBTQ inclusive or really anyone else, and as we continue to approach that majority minority nation, uh, that's undeniable. And so when you look at things like talent, you want to be able you – know, so many people who are in the workforce talk about when they finally come out at work, especially for an employer that is – inclusive and welcoming of them, that lead vest comes off. They can breathe better. 
in the office, which means that their productivity goes up, which means that all of the bottom line elements of that increase as well. And you also talk so you know, there, there's your LinkedIn that you use for your business connection, but you're in, in the LGBT world, we talk about your LinkedIn that you use for your, you we know, do. L- your, <laughs> your, your LGBTQ connections, because it is family takes care of family. And that's true of really any community. Mm-hmm. And when you're when you can vouch for, yes, I work for this corporation who sees me, they welcome me, they have a thriving LGBTQ uh, employee resource group, they offer my husband and me the same partner benefits as anyone else, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I want to tell my friends, come work here. Mm-hmm. I want it's such a great recruitment tool. And it's it's such a powerful, again, a place to, to, to hold solidarity in a movement where we're looking for permanence, that corporations aren't going to back away from this. And that also, I guess, as, as same puts that onus on governments to say, well, what are you doing? If you also want to attract the best and brightest, not only to come work for you, but to, to open businesses here, to move families here, to come to universities and teach and go to school, you've got to show people that they're welcome. You're listening to Dollars and Change on Business Radio powered by the Wharton School, and we're speaking with Jonathan Lovitz, who's Senior Vice President at the National LGBT Chamber of Commerce. If you want to join the conversation, shoot us a note on Twitter, at BizRadio132 and at Wharton Social. So, Jonathan, let's dig into some of those business practices you referenced. Partner benefits, partner benefit equity. Uh, Tell us what else. What are some of the practices that companies are employing to be, you know, welcoming, inclusive and best in class? Yeah, you could really think about there's a a wheel of of diversity and inclusion that we talk about in in sort of corporate success. And and it sort of divides into three pie pieces if you look at that wheel. The first being internal practices. So you want a place that is welcoming and attractive to the LGBTQ employee that also, you know, and and it goes so much deeper than just uh, daycare and spousal benefits. Uh, It's things like now just the most basic things like a gender neutral bathroom on every floor. Just having that is affirming to someone. It lets them know that you've thought through other permutations beyond the binary, mm-hmm. that someone can be whatever they need to be at work and that that is ultimately going to make them a more effective part of your bottom line. Then you also have the the external factors of things like authentic marketing. You know, just like I said, you can't just slap a rainbow on a bottle anymore. And part of that it ties into some stats that we have out there that almost three quarters of every LGBT purchasing decision is in, reflected by or is, is influenced by what they know of a company's public stance and support of the wow. community. Three quarters. So when you're holding I heard that's you know, anything that high for any other group. And it's because we know how to smell a rat. Yeah. You know, we know who's hmm. we know who's slapping the rainbow on and mm-hmm. then going to peel it off on July 1st mm-hmm. uh, versus the company who's really going out there and saying, we see you, we hear you, we welcome you yeah. all year. And part of that is, sure, we can have, uh, you know, t- uh, a, a diverse family in the ads in June. But are we going to see that same family in the ads yeah. in October? In I want to talk about time? I want to talk about some of the rat smelling. Yeah. And do some rat smelling sure. exercises. Um, <laughs> but I want to make sure you get to the third, oh, yeah, part then of your that third piece is also, again, sort of that business inclusion piece is what. What are you doing to show the community you're investing back in it? One of the pieces is that supplier diversity piece. Are you buying from our businesses? But also are just the most basic things like are you supporting the communities where you work? If you want, again, to attract that talent, to show people that you really mean what you say and that you want someone to ultimately go from intern to C-suite, mm-hmm. you have to show them it's possible by investing in LGBT youth homes in the cities you work in so that those kids know – 
I may have had to live on the street because my parents kicked me out of my house. But if I go work for this Fortune 100 company, there's a pipeline to the top because they value the richness of my life experience. Well, I I think I don't want to steal your thunder, Sandy, but I did want to just talk about that sort of rainbow washing we say pink washing yeah, let's call or it rainbow like, washing because yeah, sure. i've seen a, a few very um spicy things online like you know th- these are the brands that are doing it well and these are the brands oh, that i'm going to call yeah. bs on because of their policies behind the rainbow product and i think so the what i wanted to do is bifurcate this a little yeah. bit so on one hand you know this rainbow washing you know is it legitimate is there you know credibility behind it but also, there is something. I, I was reflecting on it because mm-hmm. it was Pride Weekend in, in Philadelphia this weekend, and there, I've seen the rainbow everywhere in this city. And it, I was reflecting on like being, you know, at one point a closeted gay kid from Kansas, right, small yeah. town Kansas, and like this level of visibility, even with some rainbow washing for me, I was like, I don't know if whenever I saw a rainbow, you know, especially around Pride in Kansas, Kansas City, mm-hmm. like I, I was like. Oh, right. Yes. Yeah. You know, and so like there, at least at that very basic mm-hmm. element, I was like, all right, I'm okay with some rainbow washing, but of course, with anything peeling back the onion, I do want to see that credibility. So, can you talk on both of those points? Well, look, my personal stance on this has always been visibility is good for everyone. Uh, there's no such thing as I think too many rainbows on the street because it's not for you. It's for the kid in Kansas who's seeing the picture on Twitter and going. If I get to the big city, I can finally be me. But I think where we want to get to the point is, well, they don't have to leave small town Kansas because that local mayor has said no discrimination here. That school has a a gay straight alliance for their kids. You know, so we're we're still trying to draw that maybe some of that big city mentality to help those people. But that's really what this this that that, you know, at its core, some of this visibility should be for as you're talking about social impact. That's that's where that happens. But. You know, to to be pragmatic about it, you know, there are companies that get it very right. And a lot of those, again, are paying it forward. It's not, you know, look at, I think, a great example, just because I happen to live around the corner from one. So I walk through Target every day and I see their pride display and part of their proceeds from every pride purchase go to Glisten for supporting gay and lesbian students in public schools. That is a very clear proof that your dollars spent have a trickle-down effect on people who you will never meet whose lives you can impact. So that is good corporate responsibility. It's good you know, consumerism. But then you also have companies that, you know, I've walked past gyms on the way here to the studio. I'm thinking, I appreciate you putting rainbow handlebars on, on some of the workout equipment, but are you doing anything with that? What or, the bathrooms look like? Right. And what, you know, what yeah. Like? Are you doing something to maybe shatter some some heteronormativity in the gym because you're saying we're going to have a, a, a you know, someone that that says you know this is not just a bro society? Like, what are you doing with with some of this visibility? If you're getting my attention, and rainbows are certainly very attention getting, what are you doing when you have me captivated? And that goes back to that point of how you win that consumer loyalty. Mm-hmm. Like I said, it's, it's almost three quarters of all decisions are made by what we know about a corporation's stance, we also know that the LGBT community is so loyal to the brands who get it right and that we don't leave the banks who believe in us and the cars who, you know, help us get where we need to go and support us and the food we eat. And, you know, I've gotten in trouble for saying not all chicken nuggets taste the same. Some taste like they hate you. (laughs) And... You have to think about that yep. when you, you know, when you're driving your kids home from soccer practice and that's to, you know, our ally mom and dads out there to yeah. to my sisters who are straight and married and have two kids each. It may be expedient to go to one drive through versus another. But think about your 
gay married brother and what we still have to go through in this country and what the dollars that you exchange with that company do to hurt me and my family. So how could our listeners actually do a, a sniff test? Maybe they don't have a lot of opportunity to do like deep research on this, but you know, is it through your website or like how how can they do a sniff test on some of these corporations? It, literally the ability to make a decision that can help our community or any community. And you know, really this is a proxy conversation for what you believe in to help women, right. what you believe in to help people of color, immigrants, veterans, dot dot dot. Mm-hmm. There is a parallel to this conversation where you could re- interchange those those adjectives. And for each one of those communities, there's usually an index out there. You know, for us, uh, you can look at NGLCC's partner, uh, corporate partner database to see who you know, on our website to see who is buying from our community, and also ask us and look at your local LGBT chamber. There's one in almost every city in America that you could think of, including the Kansas cities and Des Moines, Iowa's <laughs> out there. It's not just the big ones. Um, and you can ask, you know, who is LGBT certified or who is an ally-owned company where I know my dollars? And it, it's not just the big stuff. You know, it's not necessarily ordering the, 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 the goods that would be sourced from a quote-unquote supplier. It's the mom and mom and pop and pop shop on Main Street mm-hmm. that sells, you know, baked goods and candles. If you're get, buying a present for someone... Pay it forward with with that investment. So you could check that. You could also really check the HRC Corporate Equality Index. Um, it's really the national benchmark for how corporations are doing. And that is indicative of sort of what we were talking about earlier of all of the internal pieces, all of the external marketing and engagement pieces. How are they investing in communities? And now, thankfully, it is a requirement that if your corporation buys from other diverse communities, you must also include LGBT businesses in your supply chain to get that coveted 100% score, which is obviously a huge boon for us in our business community. But it also was something that moved other organizations. You probably talked with, with other uh, business leaders on here about the billion-dollar roundtable, mm-hmm. that there are corporations out there who spend a billion dollars on minorities every year. And just two years ago, they voted unanimously to add LGBT disability and veterans because they said if we're being inclusive we must include everyone so like i said this this conversation we're having in business is about lgbtq you know rights and opportunity because we're having it in june but replace me with a speaker from any other diverse community and they'll say the same thing your dollars your wallet can be just as powerful as your vote at the booth yeah and what we've seen is a lot of a lot of attention towards Voting with your dollar, um, you know, it's sort of in the wake of, you know, political frustrations. Yeah. Folks are saying, OK, it's two more years till I can vote again. What can I do now? I can look at my, where my investments are. I can look at how I spend my money, not only just to create change, but as a, a way to feel like I'm doing something. Yeah. You know, today I'm taking the action I want to take. And it's very much at the forefront, you know, in the context where we're having this conversation, at the forefront of business journalism. You know, just a few years ago when I really started off trying to, to help advocate and push these issues out in a business context, there still weren't a ton of reporters covering it because they thought of it as a gay story mm-hmm. and not a business story. Mm-hmm. And now you look at you know, the front page stories on, on the Wall Street Journal and CNBC and on serious business radio all the yeah. time where we're talking about these diversity stories because they're just essential to the fabric of the American economy. Right. I mean, you you we have our peer sets at the U.S. Hispanic Chamber and the U.S. Black Chamber, et cetera, et cetera. And collectively, all of those organizations that join us in what we've called the, the National Business Inclusion Consortium, which is this big roundtable of all, many of the leading diversity business organizations, they represent almost nine trillion dollars in gdp power so you want to talk about voting with your Out of dollars how many do you know like what percentage is that of the of the of the gdp oh yeah. i don't know a lot yeah and it's colorful and it's powerful and yeah. it's important yep. well i'm and thinking it's a if big... you add together right yeah. 
all of these different groups. Like that, that you know, as you said, we well, are the becoming fabric of the economy. Yeah. yeah. And let's hit, you know, if, if there's one important point that I want to drop at the end of that is as a big exclamation point, it is to emphasize that. That when one group is included and given the chance to win and have access to the American dream, it doesn't mean anyone else loses. It means you get a fair shot. It means that the straight white golfing buddy of the CFO isn't always the guy who gets the contract. And that it isn't just your dorm mate who's going to get into the meeting with HR because you owe them a favor from college to get into that job interview. It means that we're we're doing better about pulling seats up to tables and building longer tables for people and letting people compete on merits. And that's when we're at our best as an economy, as a society, and as human beings. Yeah, absolutely. And I have to imagine that if you are seeing even if it is not the sort of diversity group that you identify with, if you see support behind and advancement of someone who has been traditionally a minority in the business you're in, whether or not that's what you share with them, you're going to think this is a place that that's possible for me. Absolutely. It's all about opportunity models now. I love that phrase that you don't need role models because no two roles are going to be the same mm. in life. You need an opportunity model. You need someone to smash down that door, that you know, shatter that pink ceiling and say, you can go through it. Yep. Uh, I did. And I think also what I love about working with so many great LGBT entrepreneurs is that commitment to paying it forward, that once they've shatter that ceiling they then as they climb up they lower the rope down and pull others up with them well i think we we know actually from the academic evidence a lot around the, that network effect um yeah. and you know we could you can take that same lesson to regional economies um and and other types of communities like we've been talking about on the show and see how you know there are so many spillover effects yeah. that are long lasting so in the last couple of minutes that we have here with you jonathan um you know what you're you seem to be a very energetic person first of all but also a very optimistic person and so tell us about what you're excited about both you know in terms of what you're excited at um, the nglcc or just for business and lgbt rights in general well you you said it before about business leading the way and what's exciting is that's not going to change now i mean every corporation has a chief diversity officer and in most institutions that's a direct line to the ceo yep. and they're holding those companies accountable and in places where, you know, if you're an entrepreneur or if you're, you know, a PTA mom, you can be the chief diversity officer of your own life. You can think about applying everything that we've talked about today to every, you know, macro and micro decision you make. Am I welcoming everyone I can to every decision I make? Am I hearing diverse points of view before I cast my vote? Am I buying things that help the communities and the social impact causes I believe in? You know, all of that is I, I find very inspiring that that is at people's fingertips now. And it's very much on people's lips as well. And it's not just a talking point. It's it's a non-negotiable business imperative. And that's exciting. And it's now spilling over to a global movement. I mean, we at NGLCC, our global programs now working with chambers in 15 countries around the world and growing. And these aren't just, you know, the UKs and the Canadas of the world. The fact that we've opened an LGBT chamber in Jamaica and India and South Africa says that they are hearing that these multinational corporations are putting pressure on those governments to yeah. say, if you want our investment, if you want the best and brightest to succeed in your country. It's time to welcome everyone. Yeah, Jamaica's surprising, first of all. But um, 
Thank you so much. I can imagine Sandy someday being like, I'm not just a regular mom. I'm a chief diversity officer type of I was mom. Our, you know, as as he said, I'm going through like our personal budget being like. We're getting the shirts tonight. We, well, you know, <laughs> just like where where do we buy our groceries? OK, check. I feel good about that. We've had them on the show. So right? I've thoroughly yeah. vetted Wegmans, you know, for their impact practices. Where, you know, where are you spending your money? How are you? I have a, a good friend, one of the most thoughtful people I know who has shifted to doing all of her ho- holiday and gift giving locally. And. There's enough options in so many instances that that's a that's a, a fun limit yeah. to put on yeah. things. And you could say, here are the communities I care about. I'm going to seek out businesses that advance that. And, you know, it just it's a much more fulfilling purchase to make. And then, you know, just greater alignment to your values. So, yes, yes. Yeah. Nick. I, well, I will promote <laughs> myself to our chief diversity officer. All right. Well, uh, thank you so much. We've been speaking with Jonathan Lovett, senior vice president at the National LGBT Chamber of Commerce. This is Dollars and Change on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School on Sirius XM 132. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.